The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Why did he use that word? God goes to extreme measures to bring the loss to himself. The greatest gift you will ever give this world is your intimacy with God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three inside of me. I've got the power right now. I think what Jesus really wants is people to go. I want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Welcome to the Fuel for the Harvest podcast. When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. This is Nathan. And this is Charlie. We're your host for today. And we're continuing on in this discussion through the book of Colossians. And today we get to a very, very interesting passage that uh, maybe some of us have wrestled with or struggled with. Like, what does this mean? Why does this say that? Why is this even in the Bible? Um, all about relationships, really. Wives and husbands and kids and and this passage even mentions slavery, which is intriguing. Um, what does the Bible have to say about slavery? Uh, so all of that and more we're going to dig into. Uh, so let's just start off by reading it. And um, I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, loves your, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't be discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Mm. It's a good passage, and, uh, and uh, I, I think it's worth noting just right off the bat here right the bat. that you started in verse 17. Now, certain translations of the Bible might have split verse 17 from verse 18. Uh, but, Mine does. Uh, yes, uh, but it's, it's noteworthy that those kind of subheadings, uh, the, the bold in some Bibles or whatever, the, the subheadings that describe a section, they're not part of the original text. Those have been added late, later as an organizational tool for other people to look at. So when Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, all of these passages were just connected. It, there was no verse numbers. There were no chapter numbers. Everything was just connected. And so it, it's really no problem to start in verse 17. Um, and I'm glad that you did because it seeks what we just read in context. Basically, out of submission for Jesus, we do these things out of love for Jesus. Yeah, I think that's crucial because we can take some of these verses out of context or we can take one and even in context, we could still wrestle with it in our lives. But I think sometimes these are purported wrongly, uh, lifted up wrongly. And uh, you might be like, man, I've struggled with some of these ideas or even whether what the truth is or like, what does this even mean? Like, how is this in the Bible? Or maybe what does this passage have to do with me personally? If you're saying, well, I'm not married, I don't have kids, and I'm not in any sort of slavery, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, 
And I would actually say it does as we start to dig into the heart of it. I think it has something to say for everybody, whether you're in one of these roles, all of these roles, or none of these roles at this point in your life, it has something for you. Um, and so to answer, what does it have to do with us? I think we have to ask, what's the purpose of this passage? Why, why is it written? And why are we instructed to live this way? And I think yeah. that starts to answer yeah. for us the heart behind it and how we live. And the first thing I would say is what phrase is said twice in this passage. And it's the phrase, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord is the second time. The first part is whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that concept is twice. And whenever you see some, something in scripture repeated, it's worth taking note of that. It's worth paying attention to. It was written for a reason and it was repeated for a reason. And so at the heart of this is everything should revolve around Jesus. Absolutely. Everything should Absolutely. reflect Jesus. All of these relationships and any other relationship in our life is ultimately, I believe, to reflect the gospel to the rest of the world. Absolutely. And uh, I think another little bit of context that will help us is just the cultural context at the time. So uh, Colossians is in the Roman Empire um, and it's a it's Roman, Greco-Roman in culture. Meaning, um, in my research, what I discovered is that uh, husbands at this time basically had total legal authority over their wife and children, life or death style authority over yeah. wife and children. So women and children in the Greco-Roman world were not considered uh, humans. They were considered property. And so you could do whatever you wanted with your property as the male head of the house which was a, which is a big deal. And one of the major things that is coming out of this passage, is, especially to these original Colossian believers, is he's saying, hey, like the way that we do things in Jesus's kingdom under Jesus's rule and reign is different than how you do things in the Roman world. And uh, that should speak to us in our current context, because we also have all of our relational stuff. It might not be the exact same, but we have relational dynamics in our culture that don't match with the biblical model. And so we have to also adjust our model to say, hey, this is how things are done in Jesus's kingdom. And so we have to submit to that. Yeah. And it's noteworthy in the Roman culture, something that if you were in that day and a reading this, it would be like jumping off the page to you. Every category of person is addressed directly and personally. Mm -hmm. husbands, wives, kids, masters, slaves. In that culture, a letter written would most of the time only address the head of the household, husband, or master. It would never directly address the other people. So it'd basically be like, hey, make sure this happens. I'm only talking to you. I'm not talking to anybody else. And in this passage, it's giving every single person respect and direct correlation by addressing them personally and specifically. Right. Um, and so what you right. see generally in this passage is every individual and every category of person is given responsibility and given respect. Right. Which makes them full humans. Like just to emphasize your point, uh, the, the biblical model of the family elevates every single person in the family to human status, full human status. Nobody is a lesser person. Um, all of them are fully human, fully uh uh, worthy of respect worthy of and respect love and care love and, and uh, not just uh, merely property. And Jesus changes everything. And um, these relationships should reflect that. Uh, right. 
I think we'll get into marriage and kids, I think, but the, the one that even bounces off what you just said is slavery, which is like a glaring topic out of this passage. Like, is the Bible actually pro-slavery? I mean, how how could he write, slaves submit to your masters? I thought we were supposed to be anti-slavery. And there is a context here. Is uh, First, you have to start off, is the Bible pro-slavery? And the answer to that is absolutely not. 100% no. Um, it's actually very clearly written in the New Testament. First Timothy 1.10 in the list of sins, which includes all sorts of sins. One of them is, uh, depending on your translation, slave traders or enslavers. Mm. And so you have that clearly written in New Testament letters that God is highly opposed to slave trade and those who take people and enslave them. But and why would why not would to it mention uh, Onesimus and Philemon, which is exactly that's another the idea of that. Yeah. And that one is actually more uh, relatable to this passage specifically, um, because this the people believe actually Colossians is connected to their their scenario too. Uh, scholars believe that, but straight up slave trade, the Bible's opposed to it very clearly. Um, what that that word mean enslavers there is actually a different word originally in the Greek than this word here of slaves submit to your masters. Um, the word on the Timothy passage is those who would wrongfully take people, capture them, enslave them, and put them into the slave trade. So that's what we're talking about when we think of um, early United States of America slavery and the Civil War and all that happened there. That's what we're talking about worldwide sex trafficking and slavery in other nations that still is going on to this day. That's what First Timothy's addressing. And it's like, hey, God is horrifically opposed to this. Um, the Roman view of slavery, while uh, it, it's actually quite different. Um, now, was there people who abused it and did it wrongly and it was horrifically unjust? Absolutely. We can't get past that historically. Uh, of course, there is, there is that. Well, as example, the, but, the only evidence you need of that is Paul overtly addressing it here. He's saying the, the type of slavery that you're seeing wrongly. around you, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. But on the other hand, in that culture... Uh, there also were those who subjected themselves to it uh, out of their own desire and will for different purposes. One was they had a debt to pay off. And so they said, hey, I'll pay off my debt by working for you. I subject myself to be in your servitude. That was one model that was happening in this culture. Another one is more like what we see as employment today, where they would say, hey, I would like to come and work for you. And then that person would actually pay them and give them lodging and give them food and all of that as a result. And that's also considered uh, indentured servitude or depends on the translation, slavery. Um, but all of that said, when this is written in Colossians, it's covering all of those at the same time. Um, not the let's capture people and take them out of their own will, but it's talking about all of the, hey, you're working for somebody, you're paying off a debt for somebody. And in those relationships, there are masters who are being unjust. It's true. That is happening. Um, but it's not, we have to be careful to make sure to understand what's actually going on culturally. And so now you get to, okay, great. The Bible's opposed to slavery, but those people couldn't imagine a worldview or a society working without indentured servitude or whatever they had going on, even when it was just and even when it was unjust, they couldn't imagine a day and age without it. And so what you have going on here is fascinating because Paul is saying, hey, guess what, guys? You should treat each other well. 
if you happen to be a master or if you happen to be a slave in this circumstance, he's not saying, hey, it's like this is a good system. He's saying, actually, let's change the system. He's saying you should treat each other rightly. You should treat each other fairly. You should love each other. You should serve each other. When you br bring up Philemon and Onesimus, he's saying treat each other as brothers, actually, because you both have come to Christ. And uh, so it actually flips it upside down. You you actually demolish the entire institution from the inside out if you have everybody's heart change. Like, okay, you're right. I'm not going to, I'm in charge here, but I actually going to love you and care for you. I'm not going to treat you unjustly. I'm going to do everything as much, much as I can fairly. And then on the other hand, imagine if somebody is unjust. What should we do if we're underneath that person? We should work hard. We should love that person. We should serve that person, even if they're treating me wrongly. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. Was it just when they spit on him? Was it just when they beat him? Was it just when they arrested him? All of these things, when they rejected him, it was unjust. He was non-guilty, yet still subjected to all these things. And what was his response? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so even in this relationship, what's our goal? Reflect Jesus, reflect the gospel, and see people's hearts change. Uh, there's a one one quick story on that topic. Um, I was recently talking with a, a leader in the underground Chinese church movement of missions, and he had been to prison five times. And in part of his testimony, he shares that they would be put in labor camps in China. And guess who were the best workers and the most agreeable and the most humble and the most servant hearted? The Christians. These Christians would be rounded up. These pastors would be rounded up and tortured and put in prison camps. And they were the ones who would wake up early to pray and then work really hard to bless people, even in a horrible situation. And what happened? Well, what do you know? The hearts of the people around them would start to change and be like, man, what's different about you guys? I want what you have. And that starts to change a society. That starts to change a system, I think, more than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, yesterday was election day. and. Uh, Obviously, we're not. We don't have any hope in whatever political leaders or laws get instituted. Like ultimately, what you said a little while ago is the key, in my opinion. Which is, if you can change everybody's heart, the laws of the world become irrelevant. Like it, it wouldn't matter if it was legal or not legal to get an abortion, for example, because nobody would get it because everybody is obeying the gospel. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and then the laws start to change because those people writing them have a heart change too. Right, exactly. Uh, ultimately, I think that the, the core here is the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom come and people obeying his commands and, and living the way that Jesus taught them to live. That's what brings societal change. That's what transforms lives. And uh, I think it's also worth noting that um, everything that you just said about slavery, it's 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 spot on because at the at the core of everything is this idea that i'm doing things out of my love and respect for jesus not, not based upon the situation that i'm in so if yeah. i'm in a really terrible situation i'm still gonna obey i'm still gonna do the very best that i can do as if i'm working for jesus and uh yeah that's a big deal like and you can just like what you're saying you can see real legitimate true transformations when that starts Take yeah, off. and that—I mean—that applies to us, at least in the West and the majority of us today. How does that apply? That mostly applies with our jobs and our employers. Like, hey, you know what? 
I have an employer who's just not really treating me fairly. Are you going to backstab them, talk behind their back, cheat them, work poorly for them because of that? Or while you're still working there, are you going to do your job the best you can in the way that you know to do it with excellence and treat that person with respect, even though they're treating you wrongly? Mm. Now, I'm not saying if you have a chance to get out of that job and get a better job that you shouldn't, but on your way out, are you going to be like backstabbing them and telling everybody how bad they are? Or are you going to be like, Hey, thanks that I got to have a job here. I hope you guys do well in the future. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go somewhere else. Yep. That's a great, a great parallel. And I'm sure it hits home with a lot of people because it's true. Sometimes we dissociate ourselves from these biblical texts and say, Oh, it's not really about me. But it, it really is about us. And uh, it yeah. just goes to show the whole rest of this passage goes to show that the gospel is supposed to transform the, the kinds of relationships that we're in and how we do relationship with other people. I think sometimes we make, I don't know, obeying the gospel or uh, being a follower of Jesus, we make it this really complicated thing. Like I got to be doing great things for Jesus. And obviously we're not opposed to like working hard and doing amazing things in the kingdom. All that to say, I think that, that one of the things that relates to all of us, no matter what, it's not just like what I might do for the kingdom of God in the future, but like how my people right here, right now in this yeah. it's just super simple. Um, and honestly, the more I look at the scripture, especially the New Testament teachings of Jesus and Paul and others, what you begin to see is very unified. Like the gospel is supposed to affect every aspect of your life, from the very smallest, most mundane, most regular kind of thing, all the way up to the most grandiose, most like your big picture vision for your whole life. Yeah, and it's so relational. It impacts your family. It impacts your relationships, which is exactly what he's saying in this passage. He's like, "Hey, I talked about." your personal struggles and the battles already and the lies that are coming at you and how you gather with other believers and how you serve each other. Now I want to talk about your personal relationships. How does Jesus impact those? How does his message impact those? And it all, I was just talking with this girl recently who gave her life to Jesus and how was she impacted? It was her family. She's like, wow, my relationship with my husband is so much better. My relationship with my parents, it's so much better. Uh, like they were shocked that I actually wanted to be with them and love them and engage them. And it changed all of that. It's exactly what this passage is saying. It should change all of it. Mm -hmm. And each person was treated with respect and each one bearing the rate of the, the weight of responsibility that God has, has given them to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, the kids part, if we work backwards, uh, from, uh, those who are in authority over us and submitting there and then, okay, what about as parents and kids, like the kids who obey their parents and respect their parents that reflects in the public life. Um, people see a difference there. They're like, wow. I mean, you, you've been around families who kids are just like off the deep end and all of them. And I'm not saying that every family isn't going to have struggles, even if they're doing things right. But you can kind of see a difference with a family who's focused around Jesus and how their kids respond and those who don't. You just get a different feel in how they're treating each other. And I'm not saying there's not bad days and good days. Uh, we, we all know that as we become parents, but um, there's a difference when kids have been raised to follow the model of Jesus. Hmm.
and how they live that out in their family and in their life. And then of course, in marriage as well. Um, husbands are to give their lives, lay their lives down to serve the same way Jesus has for the church. Parallel passage of this is the book of Ephesians. A lot of scholars say Colossians and Ephesians are parallel books, same content uh, to different audiences. And uh, the same kind of passage is there. Husbands are to serve, to put others first, to lift them up, to say, how can I lay down my life to protect and to provide and to, to what are your needs? How can I meet them? Just the same way Jesus has laid down his life for us as his followers, as the church and wives submit to your husbands as in the Lord. Like that reflects, I think people in our culture, we've lifted up the gift of leadership so much and this position of authority so much that it's like, oh, that's better. Actually, it's not. It's equal. These are equal roles. And I would even argue, man, the wife is is more valuable. We're there to, to serve and to protect and lift up. The husband's there to lift up the wife. And so what is the wife doing? Submitting to the husband who's laying down his life for her. Consider, um, consider what comes with the position of authority, authority. is the responsibility. So like, just consider what Jesus had to do in order to be the leader. <laughs> like he had to, he had to truly lay down his life for everybody. Like, this is not just like a theoretical, like, oh yeah, you know, we got to love our wives really rat. Like this is a real thing. Like it's a really like making yeah. your wife more important than you. It's not just, you're constantly the most important thing and everything is for your benefit. Uh, a, a real family leader is always thinking, how can I lift up others and how can I serve them? Like, that's what Jesus said about leadership. He said, if you want to be the first, you got to be the last, like you got to get under people. You got to lift them up. That's the whole point. Um, and um, it requires a huge amount of energy and focus. I mean, anybody who takes that command of Jesus seriously to be like the leader of the household recognizes that it's not some easy like, oh, everybody's doing everything for me. Go get me some water. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not what it, it's the opposite. No. Yeah. And so what does that look like? It's like I've heard it said, well, the wife goes to the husband and says, here's my gifts. Lay them down. How do we change the world together with that? And he's saying, great, how can I serve you? How can I love you? And how can we advance God's kingdom together as a result? And what does that do? Reflects Jesus, reflects his message, reflects the gospel to all the world around. The family and our relationships are meant to be an image of the gospel, to, meant to reflect who Jesus is to everyone around us. So if we can't get that, like that goes back to our own hearts that we're really struggling with something in our walk with Jesus, most likely. Yep. Yep, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, the gospel should change every aspect of your relationship with other people. And even if you are not in any of these relationships, I mean, everybody's a kid, but maybe your parents live far away or whatever. I don't know where they're, you know, passed on or you don't have a husband or, or wife or you don't have children. Uh, obviously, you probably don't have slaves. <laughs> You're probably not someone's master. Um, but, but you might have a job, somebody right. who, who has authority over you. Yeah, I, I was just about to say say the same thing. Like, maybe you got a, a best friend. Maybe you got, like, I mean, you most likely, my, my gut instinct is to say that you have at least some relationships in your life. And the point of this passage is to say the gospel should be changing the way that you do relationship with those people. Ultimately, make, like doing whatever you can to honor, serve, protect, love, care for, meet the needs of the other people in your life. Absolutely. And I would say we can prepare 
for any of these categories of relationships where we're at now. So if you're going, hey, that's great. I'm not there yet. So I should just ignore that category. No, 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 no. Prepare now. Like if you were going to run a marathon, you wouldn't say, well, I'm just going to wait till I'm on the starting line of the marathon. You'd be like, how can I train now? How can I get ready now? How do you do that? I would say get really good at blessing other people, loving other people, serving other people every day saying, how can I go out of my way? Not to get something, but to give to others, to lift them up, to serve them, to humble myself. Because really, I think that's at the heart of this passage for every single role. How can I do that better? How can I point to Jesus by just being a servant of everyone around me? And that, I believe, is the best way to prepare for this um, in all categories. Yeah. And uh, uh, what Charlie, do you know that passage off the top of your head? It's like outdo one another in showing what is that verse? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to look it up real quick. Anyway, uh, my point is, when, once we find this verse, Romans 12, 10, um, it's uh, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Right. So I think that in our culture, we, we get into this model or mindset of competition to be the ultimate person in charge. When in reality, we should be in competition to be the most loving, caring person around. Like if you're going to yeah. compete with somebody, compete with them in being like revealing Jesus and loving and like radical compassion and all like compete with them in that and spur one another on to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Like, okay, I guess that means I need to start a soup kitchen to reach every homeless person in my city. Like, hey, if that's God's leading, go do it. But it could literally be like, oh, I wonder about my coworkers today and how their day is. I wonder if I could just grab them coffee and, and like bring in a cup for them today and hand it to them. Uh, I mean, it could be something that small, just practicing things like that regularly. How can I think of others? How can I serve them and humble myself to lift them up ultimately? Yeah. And as Jesus did and humbled himself, came to earth and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So even at the expense of, okay, well, this gets into like, well, what if I'm right and that person's wrong? It might be. Let's just assume you're 99% right and they're 1% wrong. Could you even humble yourself to be like, man, I'm really sorry that that what I did here in this situation has hurt you. Would, you. would you just forgive me for that? Like, could you be the one to initiate as Jesus does? Could you be the one to humble yourself? That's another category of when there's stress, when there's tension and conflict um, in relationship in any of these categories. What if you were the first to humble yourself? Right. The the example we get from Jesus and the example that we get from this passage is that it's a really costly proposition. Um, there There's nothing fair about having to be the first person to concede or to ask for forgiveness or to, you know, like be the person who's like constantly serving and out of, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I wish everybody would see me, but nobody sees you. Like there's nothing fair about that, but it doesn't yeah. matter. Like Jesus, the life with Jesus is not about fairness. And, uh, and he sees you, which is why you're working for him and not for people. Right. And I, I was just reading, I think it, is it in Romans? I don't remember. It says basically anyone seeking to live a godly life should, um, uh, they, they're looking for applause from God and not from man. Um, something along those lines. And I'm like, Ooh, 
I, I mean, Charlie and I both stand in front of people and it's easy to, you know, it's easy to get like, start thinking that you're something better than you're, than you are, but you're nothing, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it's important for us to recognize like anybody who stands in yeah. front of people, anybody who leads other people, it's really, really important that we're thinking through the lens of, okay, I'm not doing this for human applause. I'm not doing this for human applause. I'm doing this because of what God's calling me to. And I think it helps our heart and our mind to be in the right starting place so that we can live this out yes. more effectively. I agree. So ultimately, I think what we walk away with from this passage is whatever your identity in these things might be, husband, wife, father, mother, kid, son, daughter, uh, employer, employee, unjustly treated by somebody in authority over you or you're in authority over somebody else wherever you might find yourself in this um will you be i think there's there's two words for our, our identity that are most commonly stated in the new testament maybe three now one of course is a child of god but there's two others i'm thinking of and that's worker and servant those are the two things we're consistently called throughout all the New Testament letters, throughout the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts, it's worker and servant. Will you be a servant? Will you be a worker for the kingdom? A laborer, uh, depending on the translation, like we like to use around Forge, the word laborer. Will you be a laborer and will you be a servant? Because a laborer is somebody who wants to serve others, loving God, loving others. So I think step behind those roles. I mean, you, it's easy to say, man, well, you know what? I'm the husband. You guys should just respect me and try to hold on to these things that we long for but if we all begin to say you know what i'm just going to step back i'm a laborer and i'm a servant how can i serve the people around me things might begin to change your heart will change you'll you'll begin to see you know what that's at the root of who i am and as a child of god he's accepted me he hears me he sees me and from that place i can go be his servant to anyone i encounter absolutely well, thank you guys so much for joining this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. God bless.